I, I get the privilege of introducing um, our guest speaker, and I'm, I'm really not quite sure how to introduce her, partly because um, people didn't really know quite how to introduce her to me. Uh, a few years ago, uh, when I was a part of Bethel Cleveland, um, I was on staff with their School of Supernatural Ministry and functioned as um, a revival pastor and Bible teacher, did a lot of things. And um, the director came to me and said, Steve, I'm putting a young lady in your group, um, and you're going to have your hands full. And I, I said, well, you mean that in a good way? He said, yes. He said, um, Krista is really going to challenge you, and she's going to challenge the school in a good way. And I, I, I said, what do you mean? And he said, she's hungry. I said, well, tell me a little bit about her. And he said, well, I'll let her share her testimony with you, but just know that she's driving from Cincinnati to Cleveland every weekend to pursue what God wants her to do. I, I have a high value for commitment, don't you? Um, and, and Jake was right. Um, Krista is somebody that's, that's hungry. She, re, she reminds me of D.L. Moody. Anybody ever hear of D.L. Moody? One of the things that's said about him that I, I love, and I'm, I'm just going to finish with this and give uh, the microphone to Krista, is the critics of D.L. Moody came to him and said, Mr. Moody, we don't like your methods. We don't like what you do. And uh, Mr. Moody said, well, I just don't like what you don't do. You know, it, it's, it's easy to criticize people when you don't do anything. And I, I have a, a huge admiration for Krista because um, she, she set her face toward God's call on her life and said, I'm going to do this. And she's trusted the Lord, and he's made a way, and he's doing incredible things for her. So it's an honor, Chris, to have you come and share your heart and God's word with us this morning. Would you welcome Krista? So, like I call him Papa Steve was saying, oh, goodness, I don't do things like normal people do, normal preachers, pastors. I just, Jesus is the love of my life. And I'm hungry because I understand that when I have him in his fullness, he's everything I need. 
every time I try to do like a nice three-point sermon, he blows it out the window. So I just rely on him. And today, I just pray that whatever I share is Jesus speaking through me to you. Because he's after your heart. He's after your heart. So will you guys just put your hands towards me and pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you. I was seeing so many cool things in service today. There's like these angels of fire that are like suspended in the air over the sanctuary this morning, and they're waiting to touch down on some of you. You're going to have radical encounters with the Father's heart over your life. Then I saw a huge angel drag in um, a a body and chains and throw it up here. And I saw the father come in with a battle axe in his hand. And he looked at me and he said, baby, heads are going to roll. And I was like, oh, and it, uh, that's actually in uh, the Bible. It's in Psalm 68, I believe. He says it makes, he makes the heads of his enemies roll. And um, when I asked him who that guy was, he said that it was the thief and the liar. And yeah, so Father, I just thank you so much for each person that is listening today. God, I thank you for this house. I thank you for Pastor Yuri and for Amanda and for all the leadership here, God. And I thank you for what you're doing. And Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come and to completely possess me today, that my words come straight from the Father's heart to the people. And Father, I pray for each heart that's under the sound of my voice now, God, that you would, that your spirit would go forth, that it would till the ground, that their hearts would be soft and would be tender. Holy Spirit, release your word like a sword that would cut and separate soul and spirit and bone and marrow, God, that today they would walk out of here unlike when they walked in, God, that they would be changed forever by your love. Father, I thank you so much for what you've done for me. And I just release the testimony of all the victories that you've performed in my life over this service today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I just felt like the Lord just wanted me to talk about the simple gospel. Can I share the simple gospel with you? Man. So many times, like, you know, we get saved, Jesus comes in in our worst place, right? Worst spot in our life. We're totally dead in our sin, totally hopeless. And he comes with his love and with his mercy, and he swoops us up, just like Steve was saying, and he he washes us off and And he gives us this new resurrection life, right? And then somewhere along the line, that simple gospel, the simple truth that Jesus died for sinners because he loves us. 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 us. 
because he is love and he designed us to be the object of his affection. We lose sight of that. And we make the gospel and we make church about all these other things. We make Christianity about all these other things, about the good coffee, you know, about, you know, whether or not we're leading this or we're doing that or we're doing this or we're not doing that. And none of that is what matters. That is not the gospel. What we do for God is not the gospel. The gospel is God could not fathom eternity without you and I. And so he did the unthinkable. He himself came down from heaven. He laid aside all of the majesty of paradise to be born through a woman in a stable among animal manure. How many of you, we're in Amish country. Do any of you farm? Do you have animals? Do you clean out stalls? I'm like a, I'm, I'm a country city girl, meaning like I grew up in kind of like rural America, but I never had any animals, but we lived right next door to farms. And every time I walk into an animal, like a stall, and I smell the smell of manure, and I see the hay and I see the filth. You know, when I had my children, like I couldn't even have a cat in my house. I got rid of my cat when I had my babies because I didn't want filth anywhere near them. I didn't want cat hair or dog hair anywhere near my babies. And God himself came down into that messy, filthy place so that he could take on flesh, so that he could die in our place. Because much, like he saw that we were wallowing in the manure of our sin. And that we had no way that we could save ourselves. Jesus. I'm so grateful that he saved me. Many of you... Um, don't know me. Some of you do. Do I have any of my Facebook followers or my YouTube? Hey, could you? I just love you guys. Oh my gosh, I just wanted to honor you guys. Hey, I want to get selfies at the end. Um, so you, some of my my Facebook followers, my YouTube followers, you know part of my testimony, and um, I just felt like. God wanted me to share a little bit of that, but that he wanted to magnify what he did when he crashed into my world. So love has really been the whole issue of my life. It's been the whole issue of my life, and specifically not being loved correctly. I mean, from the time that I was born until, until I met Jesus, and so I have kind of like a unique background, but 
Essentially, long story short, my mom and my dad almost got a divorce. My dad got saved, and um, he pursued my mom. He wanted to reconcile with her. And so uh, he went after my mom, and um, he had just got saved and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And my mom said that when he came pursuing her, that it was the first time that she heard Jesus's love for her through my dad. And so she reconciled with my father. They got back together, and they had six children, and all of them were surprises. I'm not going to say accidents. They were all surprises. And um, the only one that they planned for intentionally was me. And it was that week that they reconciled that they intentionally got pregnant with me to be a sign of their renewed covenant, their love, and their salvation. And that week, my mom spontaneously got baptized in the Holy Spirit the week that she got pregnant with me. So I was de like designed to be a love child and a symbol of love. And, you know, anytime the... The Lord speaks a promise over us, the enemy comes in and he twists it and he attacks it to try to shut it down, right? Actually, I can almost guarantee you that if you think of the ways, like the top ways that the enemy has tried to plunder or siege your life, that guaranteed that is an area that God wants to bless you in. Guaranteed. Whew. So... I kind of, you know, having probably received the Holy Spirit when my mom conceived me and she got filled, um, I was like a very supernatural child. As soon as I can remember, I started having encounters with angels and with demons, and I would know what people were thinking before they said anything. My little brother was a year old, and I could communicate with him because I knew what his heart wanted even though he couldn't talk. Um, I started having, I had my first encounter with Jesus when I was four. And um, he would take me to the Sea of Galilee and he would put me on a fishing boat where uh, Jewish men were singing and pulling in nets. And he would whisper the mysteries of my prophetic future over me. And then I would come back and I'd be laying in bed with my mother, like hit by electricity, and she thought I was having a seizure. And I would tell her that I just saw Jesus. And she said that um, when I was five, I came out of the bedroom and I have like a birthmark on my shoulder. No one ever told me this except for probably God when I was little, but it looks like a fingerprint. And I always just believed that that was where God put his finger on me. And, um, I came out of the bedroom, mom said, you know, I'm just a little tiny thing, right? And uh, I looked at her and I'm like, mom, do you know what this means? And she was like, no, honey, what does it mean? She's got her worship music on in the background. And she said that I, my demeanor completely changed and I began to speak like I was an adult. And she said, I put my fist in the air and I said, this means that I belong to God and I'm gonna tell all the people to follow me to Jesus. So 
which is funny because now I have like 90,000 followers on Facebook and that's exactly what my goal is. <laughs> so, but right after that prophetic utterance, the enemy tried to siege my life and I started becoming abused. Um, there are little children in the room, so I'm not going to go into detail about that, but you can imagine Especially when we're created for love, when we're created for intimacy, the enemy is going to go after our sexuality. Actually, I'm convinced that the number one reason why sexuality has been so twisted, so perverted, and so attacked in the human experience is because it is the one thing that makes us look the most like God. And so that's how the enemy began to try to siege my life and completely destroy me. Because when you begin to hurt a child like that, it shuts down their heart. There's a wall that's built, and then they have to protect themselves. Nobody's safe anymore. People in authority aren't safe, right? And then if, if somebody in authority finds out about it and they don't protect you, then you can't even trust the one that you thought you could trust, right? So it was the way that the enemy tried to destroy me in that way was completely aberrant. If I told you over the years how many times I had been put in situations where I was violently assaulted and by multiple people, like not just one person, but multiple people, you would know that it's demonic because it's abnormal. It was like something was, like a mark was put on me from the enemy, destroy her, destroy her, destroy her, destroy her. And if you can't destroy her, cause her to destroy herself. Make her want to commit suicide so that she can't do the thing that God called her to do. Has anyone else in here ever been sieged by the enemy? Mm. It's because the enemy is afraid of you. You are a threat when you have an open heart. So with that being said, by the time I was 12 years old, um, you know, and I was so innocent, like, I loved Jesus, and I would get words of knowledge all the time. I, my brothers could never hide from me because I always knew exactly what branch of the creek they were hiding down, you know, and so, like, and they hated it. You'd be like, get out of here, you know. They're trying to do something crazy, jumping off a cliff in the creek, and I'm like, I'm telling mom, you know, and uh, so I, I was a very supernatural child. I would walk into our church services, and I would tell the pastor what was happening in the service, and her message would be on what I, what I saw in worship. And um, my mom was so awesome, man. She never once, like, she always encouraged me that I could hear God and that what I was seeing and what I was experiencing was real, and it wasn't just my imagination. Um, but I was so innocent, and when I was uh, 12 years old, I had been assaulted, and um, it turned out that I got pregnant from this assault, and I didn't even know what was happening, 
And my mom was actually the one that found out that I was pregnant. I didn't even know I was pregnant. And um, I had a member of our family ask if they could take me to go get a, like a, an abortion. And um, I remember just being 12, like saying, no, I can't do that. Like Jesus's mom was only 15. If, if Mary was only 15 and she had Jesus, then I can do this at 12. And so I went and I carried my baby. There was so much shame attached to that entire experience. You know, my mom, she had, her and, her and my dad, they had been teenage parents, and they had dealt with so much shame in their generation when my mom at 16 got pregnant with my older sister. And unfortunately, like, things that happen in generations, they get passed down. And so the shame that they incurred was passed down to me. And um, at, I was almost full term, um, I went in for a checkup. I had actually had a dream the night before that I was holding my son and his heart had stopped beating. And um, this is before I had even had a sonogram to know what I was having. And I told my mom about it. We went to the doctor and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And so at 13, I gave birth to the most perfect premature little boy and I named him Gabriel Allen. And um, I had never experienced death. I'd never experienced birth. And I couldn't understand why God, who was so good, would allow me to go through that. And then it was like this spirit of trauma came in. And it started teaching me about all the ways that I had been abused leading up to that point. And so my grief was compounded. And um, it's crazy, I remember like the last day getting ready to leave the hospital, just sitting on the edge of the bed. I was waiting for my mom to come pick me up and um, I just said, Lord, I don't, I don't understand how, how you could let this happen. Where are you? Where are you? And um, do you even love me? How can I trust you? And um, I just felt by impulse to open up the little bedside, bedside table and there was a Gideon's Bible. And I opened the Gideon's Bible and randomly opened it up to one of the three passages of scripture where the angel Gabriel is mentioned. And the verse was, the very first thing that my eyes fell on was, and the angel Gabriel said, behold, I'm he who stands in the very presence of God. And blessed are you, Mary, among women, because you will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and you will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be Jesus. And then I shut the Bible and left that hospital room, and, you know, pain always pursues pleasure, momentary pleasure to try to escape the pain. 
And so that's what I did. You know, lots of people that become drug addicts, like it's because somebody introduced them to something. But I actually went out looking for it because I hated my life. And I had this really good understanding that drugs could actually change my perception of reality. And I couldn't stand the reality I was living in. So I went out and I purposely started doing drugs to try to get freedom from my pain. And it worked for a little while. But um, then it became a big, big problem. By the time I was um, 18 years old, I was a homeless, IV drug addict, high school dropout, was on a total suicide mission. And, you know, the enemy almost succeeded quite a few times, but always right at the last minute, some kind of divine circumstance would happen. I'd always be rescued. I even, I had so many, like, suicide attempts that were failed that I I remember one time I sat in my room in the floor crying like gosh I'm such a failure I can't even kill myself like why can't I even die like am I just am I stuck here like I've got to live like this for the rest of my life I remember uh, being in a, a bathtub and cutting my wrists and crying because you know you can't run away from God just like David said you know there's nowhere that you can run there's nowhere I can run from your presence I want to mess with somebody's theology today do you know that when I was in the nastiest dirtiest most despicable sin that anyone can imagine that God was there with me and that my sin didn't offend him. Do you know why? Because he knew he already paid for it. He already paid for it. So it doesn't matter what you're in. He already paid for it. And that will mess you up. When you are getting ready to go do that thing that you're struggling with, that you feel like you can't get out of the cycle of, and you know that Jesus is sitting there with you in it. And he's saying, I already set you free from this. All you have to do is receive my love and the free gift of the divine enablement, the grace that I have already offered you through my cross so you don't have to do this anymore. He's there. And like, and guys, I think that that truth is something. It is so, Jesus help me. If you want to know why a generation does not want to know your God, it's probably because they already know how messed up they are, and they really just need somebody to tell them how loved and valuable and worthy they are in their intended state, how God originally created them to be, and not what they're in, because what they're in is actually a false identity. Jesus never called anybody a homosexual. It's a false identity. I don't, I don't identify people by what they do. 
I identify people by who they are. And in Christ, mankind was created in the image of God. And so regardless of what they might, like, just like if I I lose a diamond, if I lose a precious stone in a mud puddle, do you think I'm going to go in that mud puddle and I'm going to look for that stone? Because the mud does not change the value of the gem that has fallen in it. And what we're doing, I know that there is an evangelistic mandate on this house. It's a mandate, meaning that before the foundation of the earth, God saw this house, he saw the leaders here, and he made a declaration that this was going to be a house that would go out and it would seek and save the lost. And in order for this house to fulfill that mandate, you have to recognize that the people that you're going after are going to be gems that are hidden inside of manure. And it's going to be your high calling to see the treasure that's inside that manure and be like the father in the Garden of Eden when he was willing to come down and get his hands dirty to help uncover the precious treasure that was inside the mud, that was made to look like God. When you love somebody in the middle of their mess, the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to wash them clean. And it is a process. It is a process of sanctification, being set apart. And we're all at different places in our process. Do you know what the end goal is? To be the likeness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Who is God? God is love. God is love. He is love. He is love. He is love. And actually, it's interesting. Steve was talking about the resurrection power, right? You know, all of the prophets and everybody that saw Jesus in the spirit, they see God as this bright white being of pure energy, a fire. They didn't know what electricity was, so they say fire. He's the man with fire in his eyes. Do you know that literally our hearts have a frequency? That our emotions actually give off electromagnetic waves? Our brain does, but our heart does 10 times larger than our brain. So that's why you can walk into people's presence, and if they're struggling, and if there's something going on in their heart, you can pick up on it. Because the electromagnetic frequency in your heart has picked up on something that's off in theirs. The highest vibrational frequency in all of the universe is love and joy. It is the very same energy that when they take the defibrillators, you know what a defibrillator is? The paddles, you've probably seen them in the ER movies, and they, there's a dead man just died, you know, like flatlined on the table, and they take the paddles and warm them up, and then they go clear. That electrical shock 
is the energy that is love. It shocks dead hearts back to life. And so I had, love had been like the issue of my life, and then after that, and on this downward spiral of trying to completely destroy myself because I was looking for love and didn't even know what I was looking for, I found God on a dirty tent floor in the middle of my addiction, covered in, you know, needles and spoons and track marks. I had went to this church, and um, I remember walking, like, and this was, like, when I was in my really lost place, and I was totally suicidal. And um, I remember going to this church and thinking, man, if God just said my name, like, if, if the pastor just, like, pointed me out and just prayed for me, I would know that God sees me. If somebody just told me, see, because in my addiction, my consciousness and my heart was so seared that there was this huge gap between God and I. So even though I still believed in him and I couldn't run from him, I was no longer able to hear him. And in this place, I'm crying out for the God of my youth. Jesus, where are you? And I knew he could talk. I knew he could. But I couldn't hear him. And I said, if somebody just, just had a word for me, I would know what he thought about me, and it could change my whole life. But nobody had a word for me. Nobody stopped and prayed for me. The pastor didn't call out my name. And when I was leaving that church, totally broken, and, okay, well, I'm just going to go off myself or try to, probably fail again. Some lady stopped me, and she said, oh, I see you're a first-time guest. And I'm, like, totally fed up. I've got, like, this nasty, like, heavy metal band T-shirt on that's got, like, vulgar images on it. I got scabs all over my face, you know. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm a first-time guest. <laughs> you know, it was, like, totally rude. And she's like, oh, well, um, we have a gift for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I come over, and she's got, like, some little things on the table. And there was only, like, a few things left, but I don't even remember what they were. The only thing that I saw was this little tiny mirror. And it had the words... I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're not for harm, but for hope and for a future. And I knew that when there was no man or woman in that church, that God came and he gave me a word himself. And this is also why every, every single time I'm in a service, I asked the Lord, where is the one that your heart is looking at? Where is the one that's broken, that's lost, that if they walk out of here, they might not ever come back? This might be their last chance. Where is your treasure in the room? And that's why I love prophecy. Because prophecy speaks into who they really are. And so it's one of the reasons that I earnestly seek 
to prophesy, like Paul said in Corinthians. But he gave me that little plaque, and I, I would take, it's the only thing that survived my homelessness. I, I lost everything. I lost everything. And I, would, I sat in that tent that night with this little mirror in my hand that had those words wrote on it. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, I can't stop myself. I can't. I don't know how to quit using drugs, and I don't want to anymore. But I can't stop. And I need you to come and I need you to save me because I don't want to die like this. Would you please come? You said that you had plans for my future, for hope and for a life. And this is not what I see. But if you don't come and you don't set me free tonight, then I'm going to die. And I stayed up all night long crying that and praying Jeremiah 29, 11 over myself. I had been disowned from my family. I didn't have a friend in the world. But Jesus was there that night. And he had his arm around me. And he had already set in motion a plan to get me free. And he was just waiting for me to be willing to follow the plan. So I woke up the next morning and I didn't feel like, you know, I was still absolutely physically addicted to drugs. But something crazy happened. All of a sudden, the people that I was doing drugs and making drugs with, they all got raided and they went to prison. And I was forced to get clean. And I'm sitting there like, well, this is crazy. I have no way to get drugs. <laughs> well, Okay, you know, like, see you moving here. <sighs> I didn't completely surrender my life to Jesus at that moment, but that began a process of me learning how to really surrender my will in my life to his care and to learn that his will was good for me and that we are actually living in a cosmic battle. That, so fast forward, um, my little brother, who I was like my best friend, I told you I used to, to be able to hear what he was speaking before he could talk, right? His name was Benjamin. And um, he had went through a lot of the same, similar trauma, trauma that I had. Um, and... He, after, you know, I got clean, I started going to a recovery program, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to stay, and I'm going to do this thing just so I can show him that he can get clean too, right? And it was actually on Thanksgiving Day, um, eight years ago, I remember seeing him um, at my mom and dad's house, and he looked at me and he said, Krista, I don't know if I'm going to live much longer. And I remember like this sinking feeling coming over me and just me being like, you know, thinking that he's talking about overdosing, right? And I'm like, well, Ben, you don't have to. Like, look, I'm clean and I'm doing this and like you can live like this too. And um, I didn't know that he was actually seriously plotting a su like his suicide. Um, we had a great celebration, and, and I got, you know, for Thanksgiving, and 
it was like the best um, Thanksgiving ever. We even uh, went down to the creek that we used to play in when we were little, and we played, you know. And we hadn't done that for years. And um, then in February, uh, I got a phone call that they found him hanging in the garage and that his body was being transported to a hospital that's near where I live. And I was like, oh, no, he's not dead. And I just remember being in the car and, like, flying out there and screaming, like, God, no. Like, no. You, how could you do this? Like, I had just got to this place where I started to trust you with my life and believe that you're good, and now you're letting this happen? Like, you're letting something else like this happen, like, when I trusted you. And I get to the hospital, and I, I walk in the room, and my brother Ben, his body is there on the table, and my mom's weeping over top of him. My dad is crying. My other brother's there. And I just walk in, and I'm so angry. And I say, when you do this to yourself, whose rear end do I kick? But it was much worse language than that. That's the church version. And... Um, I went into an open vision. Now, this is the first time that this had happened in a very long time, like since I was a child. The whole top of the room opened up, and I saw a movie play out. And I heard the audible voice of God say, Ben didn't do this to himself. And I saw my brother in a dark room, and so dark he couldn't even see his hand in front of his face. And I saw these demons that were around him, and they had morphed their voice to sound like him. And they were whispering the most awful lies to him. And in a moment of weakness and in excruciating emotional pain, he came into agreement and he took his own life. Even though, and actually what was even more sick was that part of the lies that they were saying was that because he was a Christian and because he knew Jesus, that it was better for him to die and go to heaven than it was to live on earth. Because in Revelation, there's a promise that there'll be no more tears, no more pain, and he'll wipe away um, every tear from their eyes. And the enemy said, that's the promise you have if you just kill yourself. That's how diabolical the enemy is. And then the scene switched, and I was the one in the dark room. And the same demons were ministering to me the same things. And I left the hospital that night in my old beat-up contour, Ford contour, that I had to bungee cord the door shut in. <laughs> I paid for it with haircuts. That was cool. Because um, I had no money when I got clean. My sponsor gave it to me, and I, I do hair. Well, I used to until I went into full-time ministry, so I traded her haircuts for it. And uh, that car was such a blessing. <laughs> um, but I, I told God, I said, look, I'm like, I get it now. I suck. <laughs> Like, I'm totally dead. I cannot save myself. Like, everything I try to do to get my life better, I just fail. And I said, God, I will, Jesus, I will give you 
my whole will, my whole life, my whole heart, and I won't hold anything back from you if you please give me the gates of my enemy. I had no idea what I was praying when I prayed that. It was just a prophetic thing that came out. And the craziest thing happened. It was the moment I said that prayer. It was like this light opened up for the first time that I had somehow been blind to before. And the presence of the Holy Spirit descended on me in that beat-up Ford Contour. I did not get saved at a church. And supernaturally, I fell in love with Jesus, and I encountered his love for the first time. And it was the craziest thing because for the first few months of my life, like my life, I was tore up from the floor up, y'all. I mean, when I tell you, like, we were homeless, I, like, my husband and my kids were with me in the middle of all of this. Like, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. My husband was still struggling. Like, I was still covered in, like, scars and scabs, and my brother had just died. You know, everything was totally, like, up in the air. I had no stability, and I had nobody that believed in me but Jesus. And um, I would know that I, like, naturally, I'm supposed to be grieving for my little brother. Like, I knew that. But then Jesus would come in and he would sing love songs to me. And I would just be caught up in singing love songs to him all day long. I would just sing. And I would begin to feel like I was crazy. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, you're not even, like, grieving your brother normal. Like... And I went to this church, and this pastor, I went up to get prayed for, and, um, you know, they prayed some inner healing and deliverance prayers. Hallelujah. I still believe in that, because <laughs> I know I had company. <laughs> now, <laughs> so now the only company got, I got is the Holy Ghost. Um, but I believe in deliverance. It's real. Um, and they totally did some stuff, and this pastor came over. It was the first time I ever had an encounter with somebody giving a prophetic word or receiving a word of knowledge, and it was, um, the Lord says that you are struggling, feeling guilty, and feeling ashamed because you're not grieving your brother in this season, and, and he said, but the Lord wants you to know that he knows that grief and shame has always drove you back out to drugs. And the Lord is actually protecting your emotions right now. He's put a guard around your emotions because he's set his eyes and his affections on you. And he will not let the enemy have you again. And I was like, Ugh. and it's true. That's absolutely what he did. And that even more so, like, I remember being hit with these waves of just ecstatic bliss and just laying on the floor in a heap, crying out, seeing where God brought me from, seeing what he paid so that he could bring me from that place. And as if, like, the cross wasn't enough, like what he paid on the cross wasn't enough to prove his love for me, then everything that he's done for me up until then, 
Like, I truly believe that as Christians, like, we have a testimony about how Jesus invaded our life, right? But then we should have testimonies that are ongoing. We are more than conquerors through Christ because his love has conquered the grave. Love is resurrection power. He's so good. I just feel like I want to read this verse to you. When I was asking the Lord what he wanted to say specifically to this house, he he asked me a question for you. And he said, um, what is success in the kingdom? And what is the simple gospel that I've made you inheritors of? And I said, well, what is it? And he said to tell them that the mandate that you were created for is love. It is simply to be loved by God. We can't love him first. We can only reflect the love that we've already experienced from him. He first loved us. Then we love him. Everything about our salvation is a grace gift, meaning that you are incapable of producing anything related to your salvation or your faith without him first putting it in you. So you want the fire? Ask him to be able to see him as the man with fire in his eyes for you because then you can reflect the flames. To behold and to become. Even in the Garden of Eden, you know, when God came down, he said, let's make man in our image. And I can just imagine, like, the father down in the dirt, his hands all dirty. Everything else in creation he spoke or he sung into creation, like he sung into existence, right? But with us, it was different. He molded us in the mud. And then it says that the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, breathed life into the man. And if you will for a second, just imagine receiving CPR from God and opening your eyes and the first thing you see is him. Do you know that that's what happened to you the moment you saw Jesus for who he was as your savior? You were made to be a mirror. You are Jesus, your God with a face. Jesus was God in flesh. He was the face of God 
on the earth, but then through his death and his resurrection, now we are as Christ was in the earth. So you are God with a face. You are God with hands. You are God with feet on earth. You are the gateway of heaven invading earth everywhere you are. Love is the key that opens the door. Because heaven is in your heart. We are simply to be loved by God. We receive his love, we gaze on his love, and we reflect his love back to him. We can't even give him our own earthly, like our, our human love. It's, it's not what he desires. He wants the love that he's placed in us to love him back with. So we are so needy, right? And we can only love to the extent in which we've allowed ourselves to receive his love. And then we're supposed to reflect that love to the world around us. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, he said, I leave you with this, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. So your highest call, your mandate, your reason for living, like I was here when Dan Moeller was here, he said you were made to shine. You know what that shining is? It's the radiating love of the Father for a broken and lost world. That is your highest call, to simply be the beloved and live from that place, minister from that place, not to get love, not to earn love because you can't. It's knowing that you are 100% loved right now where you are, no matter what kind of manure pile you're wallowing in. Because his love, when you taste it, it'll ruin you for anything else. That's how you get a junkie clean. You don't talk them out of their, their addiction. You don't beat them to death with how terrible they are that they you know, have trauma and that they struggle with substance abuse. You want to know how you get a junkie clean? Love the hell out of them. Seriously. And because they know and they already struggle with self-worth, they don't know who God says they are. They're in identity crisis. So when you love them and you tell them by your love their value in God, you call them into who they were really made to be. And I'll tell you, there's like nothing more satisfying than watching like the most lost people, like the most lost people that like you thought there was absolutely no hope for like ever, even like struggled to have hope in Jesus for that person, right? Watching them encounter his love and his love totally transforming their life. Like we, I know we're into signs and we're into wonders and we want to see people get healed and all that, but all of that is literally just a reflection of God's love. Even in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, you know, 13, the chapter all about love, it, it, 
he's talking about how the greatest way, the better way, the most excellent way is the way of love. He's, it's proceeding, talking about all the gifts, talking about the signs and the wonders. But then Paul says, but if you don't have love, then you're nothing. The conduit for signs and wonders is love. I have, I will tell you the truth, there is a season in my life where, I mean, and Steve knows it, I was pursuing signs and wonders. And the Lord rebuked me and he said, start pursuing love. Start loving people. And I would be in like meetings or on prayer teams and I would just begin to look at the person in front of me and look, you want to learn how to prophesy? It's real easy. Every day, spend a half an hour with the Lord. First things first. Give him the first part of your day. Give it to him. Undivided attention. He is a jealous God for you. Give him at least 30 minutes of your time a day. In the morning. It's the first fruits of your day. And say, Father, how do you love me? Sing to him. Talk to him. Just like you'd talk to your spouse having coffee in the morning and say, Father, show me. Show me in my heart. Show me in my imagination because we have the mind of Christ, right? So our imagination is holy now. It's the place where God wants to commune and, and interact with us. It's not just your imagination. That's where he wants to speak and say, Father, show me who am I to you today and allow him to speak into your identity. And then whenever you have a captive audience, wherever you go, I love like going out to eat. I have a, a server. I've got like a whole hour while I'm eating to ask the Lord how he's loving them. Or uh, if you really wanna like start working on like your, your accuracy, do it in like, do it on the cashier through the grocery line at Giant Eagle or wherever you guys shop. We got Kroger in Cincinnati. And just ask the Lord, how are you loving this person today? Because love is the conduit for all of the gifts of the Spirit. And the gift of prophecy is to encourage, to, to edify, to build up, and to comfort people. Call out who God says they really are. And when they see and they hear how loved by God they are, then any of their arguments against Christianity will totally be like blown away because they just had an encounter with a love that they've never experienced before. It works every time. Don't argue with a sinner about their sin. They know that they're a sinner. Instead, say, let me introduce you to a more excellent way. That word there that Jesus said to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. That strength there, that word in, in Hebrew, it actually means like muchness, which is funny. It doesn't mean like, it means like with your muchness. Within everything that you do, there's not an, a better translation for it in English, but it's with everything you do, know that everything you do is actually an act of love. 
So every time that you're loving on a lost person, every time that you, you know, are doing the laundry for your husband or you're washing the dishes for your kids or you're cooking a meal or every time that you go and you clock in another day at work and, and you wish that you could just do ministry full time, but you don't realize that God has already called you into ministry full time with that job. It's even in those things, all those things are an act of worship. All of those things are an act of love if you give them to God as that. This is my acceptable worship to you, Father. That I'm going to go clock in at this 9 to 5 that I really can't stand, but it's worth it because I love you, Jesus. And today I'm going to bring glory to you in this dark, twisted place by being a light. It's, well, Lord, I would rather be caught up into heaven and, you know, away in my prayer closet for eight hours and, you know, experience, experiencing ecstasy, but I'm going to change this poopy diaper on this toddler, this beautiful child that you gave me, and I'm not going to complain because this is my acceptable form of worship to you right now in this moment. I get to change poopy diapers because you love me. I get to do these dishes. I get to take care of this man that you gave me, Lord, this good spouse who talked bad to me last night, but I ain't going to worry about that because, Lord, he is a manifestation of your love in my life, and I get to love him, and I get to do his, his laundry. I get to wash these dishes, and I get to kiss that handsome face when he walks in the door because he holds you, and when I kiss him, I'm kissing you. Lord, this person makes me really uncomfortable. They really, really, really hurt my feelings. They believe terrible things about me, but I got to be with them in the same environment with them today. And God, I know that what they're in right now and what their life looks like is not really who you say they are. And so I'm not going to be I'm not going to allow myself to be offended by a false identity that they're operating in. Instead, Father, I'm going to lay down my pride, and I'm going to love the hell out of that person, and I'm going to turn the other cheek, and I'm going to show them what Jesus really looks like, because you love me, and it's my acceptable worship. Let me show you a more excellent way. Even with, you know, the stuff that's going on in our politics today, we've got like such a, a great divide in our nation between people who believe that abortion is okay and people that don't because they know that God hates innocent bloodshed. People that don't like certain personalities on either side of the platform Look, it's not a man that's going to save us other than the man Jesus. And we got to stop uh, idolizing a politician and understand that that person is just an instrument in the Father's hand for such a time as this. We don't worship the instrument. We worship the grand musician, the one who made him. Right? And we trust that he is going to make his voice loud through that person. But at the end of the day, it's not about a man. It's about the Lord's plan. And we cannot 
fight an ideology that believes that murdering innocent children is okay and acceptable. We cannot fight an ideology that believes that gender uh, transition in children that's as young as three years old is okay. We cannot fight that with logic and with arguments. The only way that you can overcome an ideology is to show them a better way. The church is living in the consequences of a dry holiness movement that was a beautiful thing at its conception, but then it turned into religion and it turned into works and it lost its first love. And now we have a generation that is in rebellion because the holiness movement told them everything that was wrong with them instead of tried to listen to them and discover their heart. We need to repent. Because the same girl that is going to be laying on the abortion table tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. is the same girl that Jesus died for. And there's no difference between that girl and you before the blood. There's too much pettiness in the church. I'm sorry, but as a lover of God and when I see him and all of his beauty and all of his majesty and his perfection, you can't look at him and not see in yourself what doesn't look like him. So then you just say, oh, Papa, that's not me. I want to look like you. And you come out of agreement and you look like him. And the world, literally, we have a generation out there, guys, that's dying. That's dying. There are so many, I know so many people that I was in addiction with that aren't alive today. That aren't alive today. And I wonder, where was the church? And you guys are going to be different. You guys are a house that is mandated to be the beloved Guys, even like your pastors, their, their names, you want to know what Amanda and Yuri means? This is the only reason I agreed to, well, there's two reasons that I agreed to be ordained by them. And it's because the fire of God's love is a theme all throughout my life. The crazy love that drives you to do insane things because you just want more of him and you can't live with what you have. That's why I drove from Cincinnati to Cleveland every weekend, because I had found the one whom my soul loves. And whatever he had for me, I wanted. I could not settle for the status quo. Not when he died to give me what he had. We need a people, a generation that isn't okay with the status quo. That want everything that he died for because it's been paid for. And if one of your loved ones died to give you an inheritance, would you not be going to court fighting for everything that they died to give you? Then why don't we do that in the church? Abundant life belongs to you.
and the abundant life is found in his love. But no, Yuri, the name Yuri means my flame. And Amanda means beloved. So prophetically, the Lord led you here by the flame of his love to be the beloved. And I'm going to tell you guys this too. I know that even as I'm speaking, that the words that the Lord's speaking through me are creating new realities for people in this room. It's rearranging things and it's making a straight way between your head and your heart. Whew, Jesus. And you guys are going to be radical lovers. The end time, you want to know this outpouring that is even happening now? We've already entered in. It's been happening. It's just been a trickle. And it's going to be a deluge here very soon. Okay? Jesus. The next revival is going to be the revival of bridal love. We've had the Father's Heart revival. We've had the Holy Spirit, the charismatic renewal. We've had the Jesus people. But who is God coming, like who is Jesus coming back for? It's the bride. This is going to be a bridal love revival. A pure and spotless bride. This is a revival of family. It's everybody having a place at the table, everybody having a voice, everybody having gifts that they can offer, and not just based around one personality. And it's going to be marked by a company of people that are so crazy head over heels, Twitter-pated, madly in love with Jesus, that they will go to the ends of the earth and be crucified upside down, not loving their life even unto death because the love that they tasted is greater than anything else that they've ever encountered. And I truly believe that in this community and even in other nations of the world, you guys are going to be forerunners in that. And I just feel this too, like when you sow into missions, when you sow into evangelism, when you sow into the harvest, the thing that God's heart is for, then God is going to increase it in these coming years a thousandfold. You will never run out. And I usually don't say this, but I just feel the Lord inviting me to say it. And I'm going to be honest, it makes my flesh uncomfortable, but if you are struggling with breakthrough in finances, then you need to sow into the harvest because the Lord is raising up people. There's a huge transfer of wealth that's getting ready to happen. Like the Lord's already showed me all of this. I think people need to be buying gold, like real gold. Um, that he is going to increase your faithfulness 
and that he's going to literally release an anointing for people to be kingdom financers. Kingdom financers. I want to be a kingdom financer. Um, that's the secret of being a millionaire in the kingdom, is that you don't get to keep any of it. You have an open hand, so it goes in your hand, goes out. Goes in, goes out. It's actually, it's the, the Hebrews say it's the mystery of the Red Sea and the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea. It's still a phenomena. It's still like a wonder because it's full of salt and, you know, you can float on it and it's all crazy buoyant and it's, it's really beautiful. But it's dead and no life can live in it because all the water flows into the Dead Sea, but it doesn't go out. The Red Sea, on the other hand, is teeming with life. And that's because it has an inflow and an outflow. And that's the secret, not of just finances, but it's also the secret of operating in the Spirit. He says that he'll give the Spirit without me measure to those with no mixture. And so what's the mixture? The mixture is in we want it all for ourselves or for our own selfish gain, not for what we can do for him with it. But you should be so full of him that you're just splashing everywhere you go.